This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's just tough to, you know, get in your own head when your entire team, like 15 people walk up to you and say, let it fly, keep shooting. So um, for me, it was just like, all right, they're they're encouraging it. Like, might as well take advantage. So um, each one, as time went on, got more comfortable, kept kept shooting. And then uh, I guess I he may have made a joke. I shot 18, and that's most probably threes I've shot in my life in a single game. So uh, it, was, it was fun, but um, it's just great that we got to win. You need guys, you know, you know, the guys coming off the bench uh, to be a star in their role. And, you know, Grant won us a playoff game tonight, game seven. Uh, you know, I'm extremely happy for him. Like I've said quite a few times, we don't rely on one guy, although we understand who our main scorers are. Uh, we kind of spread around equal opportunity. We want to have that uh, balance, and uh, it affords everybody the opportunity to kind of step out and shine on certain nights, whatever chance it is. But, you know, we'll lean on Jason and Jalen, do what they do on a night-to-night basis and get the contributions from everybody else. I think that's what makes us harder to guard than, you know, focusing on one guy, Holiday or Giannis or whoever it may be. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Brother from Another. Before we talk about the Celtics and their stirring Game 7 win over the Milwaukee Bucks to win that series, we got to welcome in Amina Smith, who's making, it's not her brother from another debut because she was on as a guest, as an all-star panelist, but making her debut as a co-host. What's up, Amina? Hey, what's up? How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I feel like we got to change the name hey. to like sister from another mister now because I'm on the show. Something. <laughs> hey, listen, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, uh, whatever works, we'll go with it. I was saying to you a few minutes ago, I didn't notice it's like going to a, a restaurant and they're like, sir, uh, you're not dressed properly. Um, uh, we, 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 we require a coat and tie. Uh, do you have anything? Otherwise, we have like some smelly jacket in a closet that we give to people. It doesn't quite fit, but you need to put this on your shoulders because you can't come in here like this. Like you all look at you. Like, where are you going? Look, where are you going? I look, some, look, it's a nice day outside. It's almost 80 degrees in Boston. Holly, come on. You know that these days do not come around very often. <laughs> so when I get to pull out my little summer fit, you know, I'm not doing just like a regular studio show. I get to hang out with you. I was like, you know what? Let me pull out a nice little outfit. 80 degrees outside. My toes is out. Y'all can't see my toes, but my toes are out. I got my jeans on. I'm feeling good. I got maybe I got I got a sport coat in my uh, in my in my trunk for you though. So we could we could hook you no, up with good. a sport coat out okay, of my thank trunk. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, you know I got to tell this story. I, I, I'm gonna talk about you a little bit. I gotta talk about you a little bit, Amina, because we were texting over the weekend. You know how you like text with people, like text etiquette. Is something that you never, you, if you're of a certain age, you don't even think about it. That's all you know. You know, you know how to, you know, go back and forth on text. But if you're a little bit older, it's a little awkward. Like, okay, when's the conversation over? Like, what? Okay, was that, did that land well? What, like, what happened? So we're texting. I'm like, hey, Amina, you're coming on the show. I'm texting Amina on Saturday. Coming on the show, it's going to be fun. We're going to kick it. Hey, hey, you're like, oh, man, I'm so excited. We're going back and forth. I said, Amina, by the way, I'm just, you know, just I'm just gonna tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the Celtics 
I think the Celtics are going to lose game seven. Like the text, the texting was good. We were going back and forth. We were laughing. And all of a sudden it was like, and then you didn't text after that. You're like, you, you were like, <laughs> you said, uh, I just want to let it marinate. Oh, really? I just wanted, I just wanted you to like, let it marinate. Cause I, I saw, I did see the text and I was like, I said, okay. I was, I think I thought I liked it. You know, sometimes I'll see text messages and I'll be like, okay, I think I, re- I responded in my head or sometimes I do respond in real life. So maybe I forgot to respond, but I do remember seeing a text message and thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't, you don't know, know Holly. Oh, I right. don't know. Like, this, this series like, going back mean? to TD Garden. Come on now. I don't know. And it was so stupid. I was stupid. Like, even after writing the text, I'm like, okay, why did I try to tell Amina that they weren't going to win game seven? I think, mm-hmm. does it go back to my prediction after game five? You know, sometimes you get in the media, you start feeling yourself. You're like, after game five, like, yeah, they choked. In game five, mm-hmm. not only did they choke, They blew the series. The series is over. They lost the series tonight. You know, and you get all, and and you start believing it. It's so ridiculous. It's Mm -hmm. it's a bad thing that we, I, that we in the media do sometimes, you know. I did it too. I did it too. Look, look, when I got on the show last week, when I was sitting here talking to you, after that game five loss, I got to air myself out a little bit too, because what did I say? I said Bucks and six. I said, I know Celtics fans don't want to hear it. I said, Bucks and six. I said, it's going to be tough for the Celtics to go on the road in Milwaukee and then come back inside of TD Garden and win again to beat the Bucks back to back. I was wrong, Holly. I was wrong. This Celtics team that they have proved me wrong. And, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm not mad about it because they showed me just how tenacious they are, that they've been kind of marked by adversity all season long. And now... After all this time, I've been believing all season long, especially after the whole turnaround. But now, now, Holly, I'm a real believer. I'm a real believer. Because I thought it was going to be Bucks and Six. I, I really thought it was going to be Bucks and Six. See, this is not even about basketball for me. This is about relationships. Okay, this is about relationships. There's, there's, a, there's a story. There's a parable here in, in Bucks Celtics that I'm, I'm going to help somebody today that can help you when you view your relationships. Okay, here's my problem. See, my problem is I've seen the Celtics. I've seen the entire career of Tatum and Brown and Smart, like as a unit. I've seen them all together. So I remember them in 2018. They were up on Cleveland without Kyrie. It was a bad, probably LeBron's worst Cleveland team. Well, well, Besides his first one that got to the finals. But, you know, Kyrie was gone. Kyrie was in Boston, but he was hurt. So Kyrie couldn't play in the playoffs. They had Tatum and Terry Rozier and Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. They went went up to zip on Cleveland. They would go game seven at the Garden. Terry Rozier is like 0 for 10 from three-point range. They lose. Okay, that's the 2018 Eastern Conference Finals. 2020 Eastern Conference Finals. They're playing Miami. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks, hey, Celtics are more talented than Miami in the bubble. No, 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 no. They Don't lose to Miami. At the time, I didn't think that at the time because I, I remember know, that series very well. Because you were in Miami, right? No, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't in Boston at that time. So I remember watching Miami <laughs> right. Heat in the bubble and I said, they're going to take care of business. I knew that, that. I was like, they're so, going to take care of business. So it's the memory of that. Okay, so when they blow game five, and this is where a relationship thing comes in. You know, like you, you, you remember things you say you let it go, but you really haven't. So some yeah. of those same behaviors start to creep up and you're like, oh, oh, here we go again. 
Oh, here we go yep. again. See, you did this. You did this two years ago, and I dealt with it then. And here you go again. All right, all right. I know what you about. Oh, I can see this. And you Having can kind flashbacks. Of... <laughs> right. So you start thinking, flashbacks. all right, I got it. Hey, they go to game seven. I know what's going to happen. They're not equipped for it. They're not ready for the moment. The lights too bright. All this stuff. And I got to tell you, Mina, they surprised me. I think this was a significant. Oh, yeah scaling of the mountain for the Celtics because they really hadn't had a signature series win in this stage of the playoffs. They really haven't. Mm. Like beating th this group, uh, beating Milwaukee in seven games and overcoming Gian like a historic, truly, yeah. I, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration, a historic series from Giannis. Really an amazing job by the, by the Boston Celtics. I, honestly, I think it started game six. So game six, when they went on the road, they go and beat Milwaukee. Jason Tatum comes out. There's 46 points out of Jason Tatum. And, I mean, that was a tall task for this Celtics team to go into Milwaukee and to get that win in order for them to force a game seven. I think game six, they played their more the most complete game in this series. You know, when you talk about offense, defense, all phases of the game. But when it came to game seven, I'm going to tell you this story because I was inside the arena yesterday. And Grant Williams, before the game, I was on the court doing some social stuff, you know, taking some videos. You know, it's game seven, my first game seven ever in my life, so I was very excited. Grant Williams is great. He's always smiling. He's always saying hello. And I remember seeing him warming up. And usually he'll give you a, hey, how you doing? You know, smile, like for the camera and everything like that. Holly, he was locked in. That man knew it was a big night. He knew he was going to have a big night. He knew that his team was going to need him in game seven. And who knew? Who knew that Grant Williams was going to be the hero that the Celtics needed in game seven to win this series? 27 points out of Grant Williams, a career high in points for him, a career high in, you know, three-point attempts out there in this game. That boy was locked in. And anybody who's ever been around Grant Williams, you know that he is just chatty. He wants to talk yeah. from the time he sees you to the time that you are trying to exit and leave. Like he is talking all the time. I got nothing out of him, Holly, yesterday. That man was locked in. It, it was bound to be a big game for him. It, it was bound to be a big game. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that for those who don't know, and you're, you're absolutely right about him. No, he is like, it's kind of like a jovial dude, just kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, casual. Everything is, you know, finds a joke and everything, finds a good time and everything. For those who don't know, he went through, he actually did this after a game. He went through each of his teammates and gave them Avenger nicknames. Yes. Like everybody. <laughs> who was he? What, did, he call himself, who did, he, did he call himself Dr. Strange or something? I don't know, but he was, I, I he don't was know. going he down. Was Dr. We, look, we had the Batman nickname, so Batman kind of stuck. The last time I spoke with him, he said that Batman is sticking, and now I'm on Twitter, and people are calling him Batman after yesterday's game. They said, Batman, Iron Man, I don't care what you want to call yourself. As long as you keep playing like that, you can have whatever nickname that you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was, uh, so he's, he's really that dude. Let me ask you this, though. And I know it's, it's easy. This is what we do. It's what we do. Um, first guess, second guess, third guess. Grant Williams, he was making threes at the beginning of the series. Oh, yeah. So game, game one, the Celtics took a bunch of threes, missed a bunch of threes. Game two, they took a bunch of threes and they made a bunch of threes. And they won that game mm -hmm. by 23 points. But Grant Williams was sticking them in. So you know he can make them. I know he's right. a role player. 
Do you think Mike Budenholzer at some point might be like, you know what? We're not going to let him attempt 18 threes. And he, if he's going to make seven to 18, you know, Look, we probably that's that's a pretty good percentage. You you take that seven of 18 from threes. You'll take that. First they left all, him open, Grant, and, look, right? They left him. They they dared. They dared Grant Williams to beat them in game seven. Now, this is where I get confused is because Grant Williams shot 41% from three during the regular season. We saw during the regular season, <laughs> right. whenever anybody, you know, whenever he got the ball in the corner, we call it his corner office when he's going to shoot that three. Guess what? People started game planning for him. Teams started game planning for when he's in the corner getting ready to post up and, and shoot that three. Like, there were defenders on him. So I was actually kind of surprised to see that they were leaving him wide open in a game seven, in an elimination game, knowing also throughout this series that the three ball was super important for the Celtics. They were draining threes, and they were committing to it too. Whether they were, they were, whether they were landing or not, they made sure that they, they put those threes out there, and they're like, hey, we're going to stick with it, and, you know, if it falls, it falls. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then at halftime, Ime Udoka telling Grant Williams, he said, look, they're disrespecting you. They're leaving you open. You. They are disrespecting Woo. you. They are leaving you open, thinking that you're not going to make that shot. Keep shooting that three ball. And I'm glad that Grant Williams listened. I'm glad. I'm glad that that Ime Udoka gave him that talk because you know, think about it. A game seven, a high pressure situation, and you're out there shooting threes. And the way the Garden was rocking yesterday, you know, you miss a shot. People, it's like the air was taken out of the building whenever you miss a shot because people were just on the edge of their seats. But you know, for him to continue to be confident and take those three-point shots and to stick with it, I know Mike Budenholzer is probably thinking to himself, damn, like that that probably wasn't the smartest decision to make defensively, to leave Grant Williams, who was shooting 41% from three all season long, to leave him open, daring him to beat you in this game. Exactly. And then he had the game of his life. Had the game of his life, Holly, and won the Celtics game seven. See, I can see if it was like Derek White. You know, Derek White, inconsistent yeah. on a three ball, and, and some of them were, like, bad. Like, he wasn't just missing. Yeah. He was, like, you know, front of, <laughs> front of the rim, and then, like, ricocheting back to you. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, what was that? It was like a missile. And even, like, Daniel Tice. I know Tice can make some, but for remember, the, I think it was game, was it game five or game four, maybe, where Tice was out there, and he was taking a bunch of threes. One of those, games, one of those early games. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, you're, you're open, but you're open for a reason. They don't think right. you can shoot it, and if you keep shooting it, it's going to hurt your team. But Grant Williams, I don't understand it. Let me ask you something else. As you look at this series, seven games, everybody's talking about how what a great series it was, and it really did have some great moments. So, although I do want to point out, game one wasn't all that close. Mm -hmm. Game two wasn't all that close. Game seven wasn't all that close. Yeah. Quite, and quite honestly, game six wasn't all that close. So it went seven. No. There were great. There were a lot of great moments in the series, but it wasn't like, oh, you look at the series, and even though it went seven games and the Celtics won four of the seven, they both scored the same amount of points, or they were equal no. in three pointers made. No, it was. No, no. It was a, a a series of spurts. But I'll tell you one thing that did change for me, and I wonder uh, how you feel about it. I went into the series thinking. My favorite player in basketball and the best player in basketball is Giannis. 
-hmm. still feel that way after the series. Feel, I feel like he's still the best player in, in, in the game. And you should. You should, yeah. Jason Tatum, though. Jason Tatum coming in. Said top 15 player. Jason Tatum coming out. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking. Oh, of I thought, all I thought NBA. you meant. I thought you meant top 15 after the series. Okay, so now what? Now going so top going in top 15. Was he? What is he now? Somewhere in the top 10. See, I think top five. Top five is too aggressive. Is that too aggressive? I don't know if top five is too aggressive. Is he better I than Embiid? Oof. Would you take Tatum over Embiid? Oof. That's you tough. take Tatum over Jokic. You take Tatum over Luca. Take Tatum I, over over Giannis. Now, now you got one spot. I got I, I you right, four right, you're right there. You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Maybe like right outside the top five. Maybe like I think top ten, and I'm thinking like seven. low top, top ten. Seven. I, I think probably between seven eight. I think between seven eight, like somewhere a little bit after five, like that. That's where he'll fall. But I think I think one more year, he's definitely in that top five conversation for sure. Especially if they go yeah, deep, he, deeper into the playoffs and what he could show us in this series coming up with the Miami Heat. And then if the Celtics do get past the Heat, then we got to still, we got to really have that conversation if this team goes to the NBA Finals. I feel like you got to definitely have that conversation of Jason Tatum being, if he's not within that, within that top five, then right outside of that type of top five. Yeah, and this is, uh, and Tatum just turned 24, right? He turned 24 yes, in March. 24. Is that right? So mm -hmm. he turned 24 and and here's the crazy thing and I'll say this and then we uh, we got to take a pause before we talk about the next series. We're going to need a little we gonna need like a minute or two before Oof. we put the next series in perspective. But I'll say this about Tatum. So he's 24. I saw him as a 19 year old rookie in Boston and it, the transformation Amina is crazy. Like as a rookie, I remember one of my coworkers saying, after with his interviews, somebody should talk to Tatum. Like he whispers in interviews, doesn't make eye contact, gives you cliches. He just seems like he's out of it, right? And he was. It was. It was all all fair criticism. Now, it's like his off his off the court. He grew up essentially. Like it, it's yeah. a reminder that we just kind of judge people a little too harshly when they're teenagers. You know, at nineteen. I could barely put a couple sentences together and, and I'm not much better at it now, but at 19, really, I could not put sentences together. And so here he is. Now you listen to him after games. He's very thoughtful about what happened in the game. He understands what everybody is trying to do and you can see it on the court too. It was just mm -hmm. last year, last year in Boston where people would say, oh, what's the big deal with Tatum? He doesn't make anybody else better. He got, he gets mm. his points, but he's not making his teammates. You remember you heard these conversations, right? And I, and I was just about body. to say, I, I remember, I remember when I first got here to Boston and the difference that I've seen from Jason Tatum then, and this is only a year. I've only been here a little bit over a year. Then until now, he's a completely different player involving other players out there on the court. Defensively, he stepped up. Obviously, he's going to get his when it comes to points and being a great offensive player out there on the court, but just the maturity also and the edge, right? We know over the summer that he put right. on all this muscle. You know, he's looking to be a little bit more aggressive in his game. I think that a lot of people outside of Boston, I will say outside of Boston, a lot of people don't understand the work that he put in during the offseason 
to be the player that he is right now. Anybody that I've talked to that's been around Jason Tatum that, you know, has worked with Jason Tatum, they tell you that he lives, eats, breathes, sleeps basketball. Like, it's his life. And you see it. You see it in the growth. And, again, I've only been here for a year, but you see it in the growth. Just from last year to this year, he's a completely different player. The take that I had on him last year is like, okay, like, he's good, but does he have the edge? He's good, but, you know, he don't got enough dog in him. Like, is he really going to be got that, that leader dog. to take his team? Yeah, he don't really right. got that dog in him. Like, that's, that's what I thought when I first got here. Now – He's showing me that he's a completely different player. He's playing with a different edge. And we saw that when he put up 46 points in game six, when he knew that the season was on the line. He stepped up and did his job. He stepped up and he was a superstar that they are paying him to be here with the Boston Celtics. So, you know, he's a completely different player than he was last season, for sure. Well, Amina, uh, as we put the music on here, Gary, I'll say this. Jason Tatum does have that dog in him. And unfortunately, the Phoenix Suns has some dog in him too. Bow, wow, wow, woof, woof. Pathetic. That was my pick. That's my finals pick. We got to talk about them. What happened, Amina? What happened to them? Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. We, you know, we basically played the worst game of, of the season tonight. Um, and I, that group has a lot of character and integrity. And I know how bad they wanted it. We just could not execute tonight, couldn't make a shot early, and that messed with us a little bit. And Dallas played their tails off from start to finish. Um, but I talked to them about, you know, all year long we've been hearing all the praises, winning all the, the games and setting records and all that stuff. And we've been, you know, taking it. Well, tonight you got to take it. Um, that, that's a part of manhood. You know, there are days where, it doesn't go your way and you got to stand right there and, and, and show character and integrity and take it That's life. And then he'll tell you exactly what I told him. And so from my standpoint, I, I did not have us um, ready to play in a game seven. They played their tails off. And, you know, that part for me is tough because I know how bad our guys wanted it. We just had a bad night. Honestly, I'm really happy, man. It's you can't get this smile off my face right now. I'm just really happy, you know. Uh, honestly, I think we deserve this. Uh, we've been playing hard the whole series, maybe a couple games here. We weren't ourselves, but you know, we came here with a statement. Uh, game seven, uh, we believed, uh, our locker room believed, everybody believed. So I'm just happy. Were you aware at halftime you had as many points as the Suns? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, mean, what'd you, I, I, I see it. I see it. <laughs> what do you think of that? Uh, I think our defense was amazing. Uh, you know. Oh, all right, Monty. Thank you, Monty. Thank you, Monty, for the lesson. Because Amina Smith, let me tell you, I talked so much trash for Did about you? a month and a half. Oh, my goodness. So much trash. 
and, and, and Gary, and God, God bless you, Gary. God bless you, because there's so much. There's so this, this brother's got receipts upon receipt, video receipts of me saying, "Oh, mm. it's clear the best team in basketball is the Phoenix Suns. It's not even close. Why are we playing this game? They're gonna win the championship. They're better than they were last year. They're motivated." Bye 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 bye. Just talking trash. So okay, manhood is sitting here and taking it. I'm gonna sit here and take it <laughs> on behalf of Man. the Phoenix Suns. I'm taking it too because I'm shocked. I'm really shocked that they weren't ready to play in the game seven. Now I, I thought they should have been nervous. I mean, I thought they should have been nervous mm -hmm. because they get off to a two zip lead in this series. It looks pretty lopsided. Then Dallas comes back, ties it up at two. And I think what really, what really ticked off Luca, not that it necessarily spurred him to this game seven win, but in game five. Game five, Phoenix wins, and and Devin Booker says, Oh, that's a Luca. That's a Luca special. He's kind of trolling them a little bit. Yeah. Dallas wins game six. And game seven. Except as Monty Williams said, it just didn't show up. I, I'm shocked. I am legitimately shocked. A that they lost. I didn't think they were going to lose. I thought it'd be a close game. I thought they win it, but they got crushed. How does they how does that happen? Look, they fold. To they this folded team? like a chair. They folded like a chair, Holly. They folded like a chair. I got home from the Celtics Bucks game. I was still hungover from that game, and then I come home. My husband calls and he's like, "Yo, are you looking at this Suns?" Dallas Mavericks game right now. I was like, no, I just walked through the door. He's like, yo, there's like 27 points in the first half. I said, excuse me? 27 points by the Phoenix Suns? That the best record in the NBA? Like, what? wait, hold on, hold on. I was like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta turn the TV on and see what's happening. 27 points, Holly. 27 at the half. Luca had as many points as the entire Phoenix Suns team at the half. Like Luca, I don't know yeah. what he was motivated by. Maybe motivated by the trash talk. Maybe motivated by, you know, he said the thing where, you know, everybody's confident, you know, when you up in the series. He came in with a chip on his shoulder. He said, look, I'm Luca Doncic. So, he said, Y'all, y'all trying me like this? They folded like a chair. Yeah. And, you know, it's really amazing. There, there, are, there are a few things here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the positives. This is what I should have said about the Celtics Bucks series. And I'll say it about this uh, this Dallas Phoenix series too. So on the positive end of it, Ime Udoka, first year head coach in Boston, Brad Stevens had gotten the most out of that team. They stopped listening to him for whatever reason. Excellent coach, cerebral guy, smart guy, really knows what he's talking about. That team tuned him out. He was just not getting the buy-in from the Celtics. So Ime Udoka has a different approach, and he so far has gotten a lot more out of them, out of this group. And Brad Stevens, it's just a style of play that they're buying into the style and Jason Tatum has ascended under Ime Odoka. Dallas, like Rick Carlisle hadn't been out of the first round since like 2011 when they won the championship. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they, they hadn't been out of the first round. So some years they made the playoffs and won and done. Some years they didn't make the playoffs. Jason Kidd comes in there who I, I obviously played for Carlisle and just got a little something different. Got a little something different out of this group. And they're responding. So that's the good stuff. So props to Jason Kidd. Props to Ime Adoka. So I got to flip mm -hmm. it around. 
I love Monty Williams. I love Monty. Mm-hmm. Nice guy. Great guy. If it's anybody else, Amina, are we coming for his head? Are we coming for Monty Williams? Like you, you win 64 games in the regular season. You win a bunch of road games. You're the top seed. You won eight more games than anybody else in the league. Yeah. You're the coach of the year. You had all of these like accolades, accolades, stats, stats, stats. I like he he explained it very well there. Very thoughtful, very eloquent. Uh, I, I'm believing. It. I'm like, yeah, 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 Monty. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. It is about manhood. It is about accountability. Okay, all this stuff. But if it's somebody else who doesn't say it quite like that, are we a little bit more critical? I think if it is somebody else, if the people might be a little bit more critical. But you also can't forget, I mean, the Phoenix Suns did go to the NBA Finals last year. They did have a good regular season. You know, I think they just folded. Just like he said, you know, in the, in the, in the post-game presser, he – took ownership and said that he didn't prepare his team for a game seven. Disappointing. I mean, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan or if you picked them to win that series, yeah, I would be disappointed to hear that the coach didn't prepare his team, you know, to win a game seven. I just think, I, I just think from the outside looking in, I think Dallas wanted it more. I think they came in knowing that everybody had counted them out. Jason Kidd said it also. Everybody counted them out. Everybody had them, you know, not winning the series. Everybody had, you know, the Phoenix Suns crushing them. And I think they came in with a different mentality. They came in with that underdog mentality. Whereas you might have had the Phoenix Suns that came in and said, look, this is what we do. We're going to come in here and take care of business. And maybe they rested a little bit on their laurels in this series. I don't think they expected Dallas to play yeah. the way that they did. And everybody looked at Dallas and said, oh, it's just Luka by himself. He doesn't have any help. And, I mean, that's what I was hearing when we, when this series first started also, that Luka didn't have any help and that they're not going to win this series. Well, they turned it around, and they used that to their advantage. They used that as a chip on their shoulder, and the Phoenix Suns, they just weren't ready for it. Okay. Well, listen, let, let's keep it right there. Keep it right there, team. Because if we, if we have to focus, let's go back to that previous image because I, I, I'm, I'm trying to go somewhere here. I'm trying to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. We talk about Monty Williams. If you had to pick between, because this is how it works now. Somebody's got to take yeah. the blame. If it's between Monty Williams, guys, go back to that image of Chris Paul. If you had to pick between oh Monty Williams and Chris Paul, it's probably going to be Chris Paul, right? Like, if you think about his career... Mm-hmm. He's done everything. That guy right there has done everything. You know, all defense, assist, low turnovers, all of the all-star, NBA Players Association president, State Farm. My man poster Jake from State Farm. Jake from State Farm and Chris Paul. Like everything. Everything. Trying the banana boat. In this series. <laughs> He's done it all. Friend of LeBron. Except he hasn't gotten it done in the postseason. And he has been part of fairly or unfairly. I just got, you know, he's been part of some pretty stunning collapses. His time with the Clippers, his time with Houston. Uh, and now with Phoenix, he's been a part of some some meltdowns that are just that really hard to explain. So at, at 37, 
I wonder if uh, I wonder if the moment has passed. And I really, I really was was excited about this Suns team yeah. coming into the postseason, but now I'm wondering. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I it's mean, ever going to happen you, for them. Look, you're right to wonder. 37 years old. I feel like, you know, people know it's tough to get to the NBA Finals. People know it's tough to win games in the NBA. Chris Paul, more than anybody, knows that as well. That window, we all know, is very tight. To get into that window of winning an NBA championship, and I feel like Chris Paul was at that point where he was on the cusp of winning an NBA championship. I honestly feel like that window passed last season when the Suns were able to go to the NBA Finals. Now Chris Paul's 37. We saw the production drastically reduce in this series from Chris Paul. He's only getting older. I didn't say it. Father Tom is saying it. That's just, that's yeah, just that's the way right. that it goes. That's right. You know that that window is going to close. And everybody's not LeBron James. Everybody's not LeBron James. Everybody can't just be, can't play the way that LeBron is playing. Everybody can't throw it down how LeBron is doing it for 17, 18 years. It's tough. And Chris Paul has been lucky enough to be in some really great situations. And I feel like, you know, the situation that he is in with the Phoenix Suns was primed for him to make that jump and win an NBA title. And unfortunately, I feel like that window has closed. Ooh, man, it's tough. It's a tough way to go. So my finals pick is out. I said the Celtics mm. couldn't win game seven. Wrong. Come on. Charlie Murphy was like, wrong. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> wrong. Um, I said the Suns will win the championship wrong again. And so since I've been wrong on those two things, we're going to talk about something that you're wrong about coming up next. Oh, that's a tease. Something that you're wrong about. Shame on you. Shame on you. I don't know about that. For this take. (laughs) This take that you have. Where this, where'd all this come from? Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Yeah, you see the schedule? Play back, bro. No buy after Germany. Bro, we got four away games in the row. Bro, I can't escape, bro. I can't escape Detroit. They didn't. Week five, bye week, or week six, bye week. Whoa, what? No bye week after the Germany game. Are you serious? I swear. How long is that? That's what it said. I played on Thanksgiving for eight years straight. Never had a Thanksgiving off until I got here. No bye week after the after the Germany game. None? None. What? Bro, Oh my! <laughs> I didn't even see that. Horrible. Hey, you. Hey, don't blame me. I just, <laughs> all right. Hey, I said I confident. That made change. I just worked with it. That made change. We played on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Wow. You end uh, the, the, the November schedule, Thanksgiving Day, against the Lions. This is 30 a.m. start time Pacific. 
Yeah, you're paying our fine. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be three games in 11 days, so it's going to be a, a tough stretch. You can tell Howard Cast to show up. Uh, see, oh all right. God. So, hey, that was great. Hey, and, and, and you know, that's exactly what you do. Call your spouse. Hey, listen, Look. I just want to let you know right now. Like, <laughs> your family, Thanksgiving, that ain't happening. I'm not going to be around. <laughs> Christmas, I'm going to be in Arizona. It's mm. not my fault. It's the league. Now, this is fun. Everybody was doing some creative, not everybody, but a lot of teams did some creative things. Obviously, that was fake. Uh, the Seahawks decided to prank their players and come up with this schedule that was totally irrational and unreasonable. Not real. Players fell for it. They came back and told them it was a big joke. The Chargers for the win, anime, schedule release, taking shots at everybody on their schedule. A lot of teams did some fun, some real fun things with the schedule release. So I was amazed, Amina Smith, mm. to look on your feed and I saw you said the schedule schedule release is overrated. What's overrated about it? It's, it's fun. Just, it's, what's what's the problem? Uh, Holly, 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 Holly. I'm a simple girl, okay? I like to just know the schedule. Let me know where I need to be, what games I want to watch, what games are home, what games are... I don't need an entire show. I don't need an entire production. I mean, I get it for social. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But the whole buildup, Holly, the whole buildup, all these promos, all these new shows. Oh my gosh, the schedule release is coming. Holly, I don't care. Tell me, tell me who my team oh, see, is playing. See. Tell me where okay. I gotta go. Tell me how much the tickets are. Like, it doesn't need to be a whole production. I mean, I enjoy the social stuff. It's cute. I will say I enjoy the social stuff. It's cute. But the it's entire cute. production and buildup around it. It's like, come on, guys. Like, I, I know it's the middle of, like, the spring. We're going into the summer. I know everybody's bored. We need something to talk about. But come on. It, it, it's, it's a bit much. I'm going to call you out now. See, this is, you're a hypocrite. Okay, you are, you are such a hypocrite. You need to be called out on this <laughs> because uh, in your job, like, people, like, I, I mentioned this last time Amina was on, but I want to let you know what Amina does. Amina does everything in Boston. Okay. If, if Amina takes a day off, the station just shuts down. They're like, okay, we can't do TV today because Amina took a day off. Like, we can't do TV. Amina does Celtics pre and post game. Amina does Patriots pre and post game hosting now. Uh, she does uh, opinion stuff. She's all over the place. But you also are probably going to do, probably even tonight, is there some Celtics playoff schedule or, or Celtics post like postseason special mm -hmm. some show is coming on oh, all you got to do is say hey when do they play Miami we don't need a whole show about it right just tell me when the yeah. game is ah look, right look look look, ah. look 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 I don't think you need okay. a whole show about it but you're doing like, one <laughs> is no, it no, tonight no 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 we're not doing a whole <laughs> show about it what we do is we wrap it into our pregame show. That's what we do. Okay. So that way we had the segments and we could talk about it and do everything like that. But that's like if we had an entire show for the NBA schedule that's coming up. Oh, like, okay, I know that we're going to play these teams. Do we need don't to, you? like, literally? No, absolutely okay, not. Right. We don't need to have a whole show about the schedule. I think that's it's overkill. Holly, come on, it's overkill. And I get it. The NFL wants to be relevant, and they are relevant all year round. But 
the entire yeah. production around a schedule release. Come on. It's just All right. just I let me know. Give me give me the big matchups, the, the mar give me the marquee matchups that are gonna happen. Right. Just give me the marquee matchups and let's discuss it. Say hello to our guy Charles Robinson from Yahoo Sports. Charles, I know you heard this. Uh, do you agree with Amina Smith? Disagree, different angle on the schedule. Is it overkill or is it just a great job of storytelling? That's the way I look at it. Great job of storytelling on something that we knew. We knew the opponents. We just didn't know where the slots were going. Oh, we don't have we, we can't we don't hear Charles. Charles, this is like the early days of Zoom. Well, yeah, when you're on there mute, we go. when you're on mute, there we, there go. we go. There we go. <laughs> you, you would think two years in, I'd, I'd remember to unmute my computer. Um, I mean, it's definitely overkill, but when does the NFL not do overkill, right? I mean, this is this is what they're known for. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when they look, when this all first started out, uh, maybe I, I don't know, it had to be probably ten years ago. I remember griping about it and the whole production of it, setting aside an entire day to do this, the rollout, you know, I think it's gotten better though, as time's moved, has moved on because teams have decided, Hey, let's be creative. Um, let's figure out a way to, I thought that, you know, the anime thing with the chargers was pretty cool. Everybody's kind of hit it from a different angle. You see the social media accounts kind of getting into it now. So at least from an entertainment aspect, it's gotten more interesting, but, um, you know, I'm like Amina. I just want to know. Just tell me, like, when and where, and what the bye weeks are after the international games. Like, I just kind of want to know the mechanics of it. But you know, I get the entertainment value of it, and and fan bases. I guess you know it engages fan bases at a higher level, which is probably good for every team. All right. Okay. As a reporter now, as a reporter who who covers this league and covers it at a, at a very high level, is there a particular game that you saw? You said, okay, that's for me. Uh, I, I can't wait to cover that. I'm going there. That's going to be a great matchup that really is exactly what I'm looking for. Kansas, well, uh, you know, I guess I would say um, Buffalo, the you know, Buffalo and the Rams, you know, it's a good way to start the season. I think Kansas City, Buffalo, the rematch of the 13-second game. Um I'm very curious to see if Deshaun Watson is suspended or not because, you know, his, his national television debut for Cleveland um, would be on a Thursday nighter. But I, I thought for me personally, when I looked at the totality of it, you could see the NFL's leaning hard into those Thursday night games. And, and mm. I, I think when you cut a deal with Amazon, um, that Thursday night package is what it is this year, largely because the NFL said we got to make sure um, we absolutely load that Thursday night schedule. It's I think it's probably the best Thursday night schedule I've ever seen since they started doing games um, in that time frame. So um, I, there, I, there's a lot of games that, that you know, for, for different reasons, I'm very curious um, to see. But when I look back at the postseason, you know, I, I want to see the early Super Bowl matchup, which obviously some people would say will be Rams-Bills. And I want to see that 13-second game again. I want to see what, you know, Russell Wilson – um, his his debut on uh, in prime time with the Broncos, you know, I, I think I kind of take it for what it is that, you know, there are certain games we know will be good, but th we also know that games that we think are going to be amazing in the middle of the season, by the time October comes, we're going right. to start looking at some of these schedules and say these games are dogs that we thought were going to be great. 
See, you talked about the Kansas City-Buffalo game, and I mean, this is why I say, Holly, you don't really need a whole entire production and rollout for, because if you obviously watch the NFL and you watch these games, you know, do you really need to have a whole rollout situation if everybody knows the storylines, everybody knows the rematches? Like, what's the point? Like, I know I'm interested in watching that 10-second game because of the storylines from last season. So it's just like, why do I need all that other stuff? Why do I need the bells and whistles if the storylines are already there? I mean, I think it just comes down to, look, the NFL – figuring out a way to, to expand its season year round, right? I mean, if this isn't there, like you said, it's spring, right? Why are we talking about, you know, the schedule release? We're talking about it because the NFL has to have a tentpole moment in the spring. You know, it's become one of those things from, you know, Super Bowl ends, then it's combine, then it's free agency run up, then it's the draft, then it's the schedule release, then you do full squad, you know, you get the teams all together for their <laughs> mandatory mini camps. Um, and then you finally get that tiny little break. <laughs> you get about two weeks uh, from from about the third week of June to the, the first or second week of July. That's it. That's the NFL's offseason. There's about two and a half to three weeks between June and July. And even then, you know, the teams trot out contract extensions um, for franchise tag players, things like that. Um, it's from a business model standpoint, you know, I get it. And uh, but you also saw what I thought was interesting too. You saw Pete Carroll's reaction to how the schedule's set up. You have all these teams that clearly are are upset about you know how 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 certain games are slotted and where the bye weeks are located and whether or not they're getting you know screwed out of you know primetime games. The Detroit Lions are sitting here going, "How come we don't have any any primetime game?" Really. The Detroit Lions are complaining about not having prime time. Game. I mean, I mean, come on, man. We get, we're going to take it to the level. So. You're disrespecting us. You're disrespecting yeah. us. What? <laughs> Look, we're, we're, tired, we're tired of seeing the Detroit Lions. As somebody, I lived in Chicago for six years. As somebody that has watched the Detroit Lions pretty much every Thanksgiving, trust me, I've had enough of, listen, <laughs> had listen. Enough hey. of the Detroit Lions they, in any type of primetime situation. <laughs> They should have looked at the schedule and said, okay, good. We still have the Thanksgiving Day game. <laughs> like, they didn't That's take right. it away from us. I mean, come on. That's right. Because they they, they, it's not like they're always competitive. They were last year. They played Chicago uh, on Thanksgiving last year, right? They should have won that mm-hmm. game. I think it was Thanksgiving. They lost, uh, mm-hmm. of course. But uh, they're not always competitive on Thanksgiving. So that used to be the cliche, too. Hey, the Lions aren't very good, but at least they play a good game on Thanksgiving. Nah, not necessarily. Now, Charles... <laughs> Uh, I know there's like the schedule release, the schedule release shows. Look, here's the show I really want to see. The Browns already did hard knocks a few years ago. We saw the tension between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson. Yeah. I want some type of show on the Browns right now. They got Deshaun Watson, his situation, and Mm. Baker Mayfield still. So Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson, Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, Lights, camera, action. Let's go. Just, just turn the cameras on. Something's going to happen. So what, what's happening with, let's just start with Mayfield Browns or Mayfield next team. Like wh- where does that, where does that stand? I mean, he's still a Cleveland Brown and it's mid-May. It's, it's nuts to me. Yeah, it's, and I don't 
suspect it's going to change. I mean, I, I think basically what's going to happen is um, they're going to be put to a decision in the full squad uh, minicamp because it's mandatory. So they have to make a decision. Do we excuse them from mandatory minicamp um, or do we ask them to come in and roll with it? At this point, I think they're going to ask him to come into mandatory minicamp. They're going to tell him we're going to expect you to be there um, because the whole, you know, look, look, the whole team's going to be there. We're ready to roll into the into the you know regular seat or well at least into training camp with you. Um, so why would we let you sit on a mandatory minicamps? I don't know if Baker, if he doesn't show, um, there's going to be an issue. And I think the Browns would start to look at okay if he if he decides to duck out of mandatory minicamp. Um, can we now start to look at um, conduct detrimental to the team? And maybe we won't owe this guy the guaranteed money that we're on the hook for right now. Um, so it, it's going to be a really intriguing storyline. I think if you're the Browns, what you're hoping is that by some miracle, mandatory minicamps come in and some teams get to look at their quarterbacks, be it the Carolina Panthers or whether it's Seattle, and they go, you know what, maybe we're not as settled as we think we are. Maybe we really don't want to roll into um, training camp with, with this group and we still have the ability to add Baker Mayfield for basically a nothing draft pick and pay probably, you know, 70% of his salary. I, I think that's what they're hoping for. And if that doesn't happen, then I think the next the next sort of track they step into is we have to wait and see if something in training camp happens where, you know, a team suddenly, you know, whether it's a, a Teddy Bridgewater, you know, God forbid, Teddy Bridgewater type injury, where all of a sudden a team needs to go out and trade for a Sam Bradford. Um, but the Browns are adamant. When you talk to the Browns behind the scenes, they are adamant they're not cutting him. They're like, we owe him the money. We owe him $18 million. Why are we going to pay him $18 million to go and play somewhere else? That's just absolutely not happening. Um, it's... You know, if Baker Mayfield shows up for mandatory mini camps, what is that going to look like? You know, is he going to talk to the media? Is is there going to be a problem? I, you know, I I just don't know how this is going to sort itself out unless a team has some quarterback need that, that right now just doesn't exist. Holly, I agree with you. Just just put the cameras in the locker room. That's all I want to see. Let's put, go. put the cameras that's in the it. facility because I mean that's some reality TV that I would want to watch. It's just, yeah. it's going to be so awkward having Baker Mayfield in the building. Can you imagine just even being on that roster and playing and being in that locker room and you're just like, ugh, like this whole quarterback situation is, is going to blow up. It's, I think it's going to blow up for the Browns during the season. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, I, I would love to see that reality show. Let, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees coming out. He's on Twitter. He's talking about, you know, he might not be commentating this upcoming season, but also might be open to playing in the NFL again. And then also mentioned something about pickleball. So I don't know how seriously what's that, to Ron? take that. I mean, what's that? What's that, Ron Burgundy? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I don't. I don't believe you. I don't understand what, what what was the point of even coming out and saying that. But uh, like, what are your thoughts on Drew Brees saying that uh, he might want to come back? to the NFL possibly maybe and maybe still commentating. I think he doesn't even know what he wants to do. I don't think he's serious. You know, I, I think is he half serious? Maybe, you know, I think like it's there's no NFL opportunity there for him right now. And obviously after, you know, one year of broadcasting, um, you know, to kind of have to move, <laughs> kind of have to move on after a year. Um, you know, I, I think you're sitting there and you're saying, well, look, 
Um, I've had the year off. Tom Brady did it in six weeks. Maybe I can, maybe I can come back after a year. I don't, I, I just don't know that um, there's any franchise out there that, I mean, even the Saints, I, I think the Saints are, are they want to get a good solid look at Jameis and figure out um, what's potentially there long-term. I don't know what other NFL team would be interested in having him right now, but I, do I think he's completely unserious? You know, Dennis Allen kind of came out and made it sound like, you know, that the tweet, you know, the basically what he's putting out on social media, um, there's nothing to it. I don't know if there's nothing to it. Um, remember, this is a guy that when he went down with his injury and, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was out there, Drew was putting himself, you know, putting uh, – I think it was on his Instagram, you know, he's putting videos of himself throwing footballs. And I think he does this for a reason. I would take him at least somewhat serious, but you also have to look at it from the broader scope of, is there a team? Is there a fit? Is there a place for Drew Brees out there right now? And I don't know that that's really the case. I, I want you to, it's the last one. I'll leave you with this, Charles. And just think about it, of, of all the people you've met in your career, all the athletes and coaches that you've talked to, who do you think has done the best job of moving away from the court, from the field, whatever, to the broadcast booth or any type of media thing, any type of media endeavor, and just been able to say, okay, that was that. I, I, I enjoy my time as a player, but I'm not a player anymore. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not protecting the guys. I don't say I love this when they say it in basketball too. I love these guys who say, you know, our league. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's not right. your league. Okay. Our league. You know, he's one of the best players in our league. Dude, you ain't played in 10 years. It's not right. your league. So I because I think that was part of the reason. Like part of the problem with Drew Brees, I can hear it. I can hear it. I have nothing against Drew Brees, but when he was on the air, it's like, dude, are you you just seem so uncomfortable? Um, right. Or, felt or like just a, like you, you're dancing. You can you can you can feel the dance. Who, who do you think has like kind of bridged that gap and 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 handled that transition the best? In in terms of being a broadcaster or just like transitioning away and doing other things, because I think there's there's you know, a, it, so, either one. But bro, but broadca broadcasting media specifically, because I think it's hard for a lot of coaches and players. To come out, especially if you're going to be a commentator yeah. and you have yeah. to say, "Hey, that wasn't good enough. That was a bad shot. That was a bad play. That was not good. A good coaching decision, whatever." So I think there's two, and they're in different categories. First, I, I would say Peyton Manning because I thought Peyton was lying. Like I was like, "There's no way this guy's going to leave. He's he's not going to stay outside of a team structure." And I I even went to the Manning Passing Academy a couple years ago, and I spent some time with him. And I'm like, "You're going to be a GM, right? Or you're going to be a team president? You're gonna you're gonna." And he was he kept saying. No, he's like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't like, I like what I'm doing now. Like I, I could, I dip in and do some avenue of, of broadcasting or, or get involved with, you know, um, games on Sunday or whatever. Yeah. I could see myself doing that, but he didn't see it as necessarily the traditional route, which is interesting that he said that then, because then the Manning cast comes and it is a very non-traditional way to, to be a part of the game. But I, it felt then like, he kept professing, I'm good, I'm done, I'm ready to roll and kind of do my own thing, whether it's, you know, I don't necessarily have to be involved in a football team. I Again, I thought he was lying. And since then, I, he's kind of shown that he really hasn't needed to be um, in, in a front office. He hasn't needed to be a team president. He hasn't needed to be sitting in, in an ownership suite making decisions like that. He seems very happy 
Um, in terms of like a more direct kind of, I guess, linear path that we've seen some athletes take, I would probably have to be Tony Romo because that was another guy that I thought um, I questioned, especially when he signed the deal that he signed. I was like, is he worth this? Like, is he really going to be this good in the booth? When he stepped in the booth and I started to listen to him, I thought, okay, wow, there's there's definitely more there than I thought would be. Um, he's got an interesting kind of quirky personality. Um, and I've never seen any need from him to to go back to the game. He's never really, once he left, I thought someone's going to call him. He's going to profess, you know, this idea that he could return or whatever. He never did. You know, he just never, he never looked back. And so I would just say in terms of recent individuals, those are the two that I would look at that kind of did it differently, but neither of them I thought ever had an inkling to go back and play football again. And you know what? Uh, good stuff, Charles. I'll, I'll leave this one, uh, leave you with this one on the way out. Barkley. I mean, Barkley, he left the game and he's, I mean, he was so honest that his relationship with Michael Jordan yeah. is no more because <laughs> Jordan was, <laughs> Jordan really did struggle uh, in Charlotte. And so he, he said it. And he, he says whatever. He gets into fights with players all the time because he just shoots it from the hip. And and that's what that's what the job requires sometimes. Right. Some guys yeah. just don't want to go there. All right. Hey, Charles Robinson, you always, you always meet the assignment and give the job what it requires. We'll talk to you next week, brother. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care. Appreciate you. Thanks. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. That was a good first hour. We got a friend with us, my girl, host of Laces Out on Sports Illustrated, Ash Nicole Moss, joining us on the show. And, um, Really, Holly, just me and Ash, we're going to take over. Right. So, we don't, That's right, go I ahead. Take I, over. Well, I need a break. Is, I have to take <laughs> I need a this drink. moment. I just had to take a quick moment to say how proud I am of my girl, Amina. A lot of people don't know, we came out the trenches of Miami, like from we the did. bottom of the rock, like <laughs> literally and figuratively when it comes to, so I'm just so proud to see her in this role, Emmy nominated, killing it. Although it's for the Boston Celtics, we are New Yorkers. So it was a little bit of a situation, you know, I'm going to put that to the side. I'm just so proud of you. I could not be a bigger fan. So this is amazing Thank for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I oh, love this God. moment. I love this moment because like, look, Ashley knows we literally used to report on like what you football. Down yes. in Miami. Like football <laughs> is life down in Miami, Holly. If you don't yeah. know and literally I, I don't think it. you know how difficult it is to interview 10 and 11 year olds <laughs> asking Dude, them yeah. about football. Me and Ashley, we have been there. Just like she said, yeah. we've been in the trenches. So this moment is really full circle. So I'm really it's glad so to have you circle. on the show. It is so full circle, so full circle. Um, speaking of full circle, now with the mm -hmm. Celtics headed to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, you've covered the Miami Heat. I've covered the Miami Heat. Like, we've been in Miami, and we know what type of team this is that the Celtics are getting ready to face. And honestly, Ashley, I'm not going to lie. Like, I've covered the Celtics all season long. I know what type of team the Miami Heat is. I know they got a great defense. I know Jimmy Buckets is playing out of his mind. I know Tyler Harrell, he can put up points as well. 
I really don't know how to call this series. Yeah. I, just, I, 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 I feel like it'll go all seven games. And, you know, my husband, he's from Miami, born and raised. <laughs> and, you know, I'm hearing it all the time at home. He is giving me the business every time I talk about the Boston Celtics playing the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. But, girl, where do you see this going? Because I, I, I just I can't put my finger on how this series is going to unfold. I'm with you. I think these teams are a lot more evenly matched than I think people are giving them credit for. I think, you know, people are kind of underestimating both teams in some way, shape, or form. My concern with Miami, although I think they're a defensive powerhouse, that's not going to be an issue. Kyle Lowry's not going to be on the floor, at least for the first game. He's been dealing with some hamstring situations. Um, and as we know, we've seen this with James Harden. We've seen this with a bunch of other players. A hamstring's one of those things that every time you feel like you're okay, it reminds you, uh-uh, you're not quite there yet. So you're going to lose that point guard. You're going to lose that ability to run the offense. And obviously, Tyler Hero can do it in his absence. But Kyle Lowry's a vet. He's been to the promised land. He knows what to do. You can't replace that kind of leadership. Also, you're going to need somebody to step up in his absence when it comes to scoring. And we already know Boston has shooters. And when those Jays are on, they are on. But also, you can't go ahead and take away Grant Williams might have another incredible game. There's a lot of basketball to pass around and a lot of shooters on the court for Boston. So Miami offensively is going to have to keep up, especially in the absence of Kyle we don't know how long that's going to be. So that's the only thing that I'm like, okay, who's stepping up in his absence? Because you can't, you know, go on dry spells against this Boston team. They will definitely make you um, regret it in the long run. So that's my only concern. But I'm with you. I think it goes 7-2. I'm going Miami in 7. I'm going to stick with the home base here. The New Yorker in me, in me you know, I can't Woo! go Celtics. You just can't, you can't do it. Boston. I can't do it. I know. Yeah, you yeah. Can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. It's just can't like, it's it. like, trust yeah. me, I understand. I, can't go that far. I understand, Ash. Like, if I wasn't here in Boston and I hadn't watched this team all season long, you know where I'm leaning just off of GP purposes, being from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But this series, I, like, I'm expecting this series to go all seven games. But as much as I lean towards Miami and Eric Spolstra being just a mastermind in basketball and Jimmy Buckets going crazy, you mentioned Kyle Law just the uncertainty with him as well. I feel like Boston might have the upper hand a little bit. Ooh. Just because, of, like, just like how you mentioned, you talk about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And honestly, we haven't really seen them both shine at the same time, even in that series against the Milwaukee Bucks. I think they're due for a game where they both shine at the same time. But also, I think what the Boston Celtics have working for them is the fact that they can find points and they got shooters outside of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, who was yeah. expecting Al Horford? Who was expecting Al right. Horford in that series <laughs> to have the game that he did? Old Al with the knees, like, he's saying, I still got it. He's going up. He's taking the three-point shot. He's bathed in the fountain of youth. Yeah, for sure. saved them. Look, I'm telling you, Al Horford saved the Celtics in that series. And then, just like you mentioned, Grant Williams also shooting 41% from three during the regular season. Like, he is not afraid of that moment. Right. And Peyton Pritchard, although people didn't, people didn't talk about Peyton Pritchard that much last night, but he showed up when he was supposed to show up. He was not afraid of them. He even talked Mark a little bit smart. of mess out there. He was talking trash. Every stumble Marcus Smart came across, he made up for it in some way, shape, or form. I hear you. Look, there's a lot of talent. They're deep. You know, I think that both coaches are exceptional coaches. Obviously, Spolster has the championship DNA as a coach. He's been there multiple times. I think he's extremely underrated. He's going to go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. 
time. I'm a big Spolster fan, although it took me a while to warm up to him again as a Knicks fan, him and Pat Riley kind of, you know, that's a different conversation, but it's going to be interesting. I think the key, and as it really comes down to this, you have to defend home court if you're Miami, because winning in Boston is not going to be easy from the atmosphere, from the crowd, from the noise. It's just it's going to be extremely hard. If you can defend home court every single time you play in Miami, you should be able to go ahead and win this series. Well, you will win this series. Miami has home court advantage, but that is the key. You have to win every single game at home, N- not give up a single one. Ashley, let, let, let me ask you this, because I, I think I've been planning for about a month, month and a half. <laughs> Suns, Warriors, Western Conference Finals. Okay, mm. it's a good matchup. How do they get? What? What happened? Well, no, Suns, no Suns. So now we got Mavericks, Warriors, Conference yeah. Finals. I'm just like, I can't even process it yet. I just don't even know. I, I, I can't even go through the matchups. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm still trying to deal with the Suns and their 64 wins in the regular season being kicked out in the second round. One, just like, you know, touch on both of them. One, the, the stunning loss at home in game seven. And then how you think the Western Conference Finals will play out? Well, first of all, if I could have told you not to pick Phoenix to go all the way. That was your first mistake mm. because. Oh, <laughs> oh you with me last year, though. You with me last year on Phoenix. Last season Come for on. me was a fluke. It was a dismantled Western Conference. They kind of got in there by, you know, finagling their way through all the injuries. They happened to be the least injured team to get there and then ultimately ended up losing. But I could have told you Phoenix was not the, the horse you wanted to bet on. It was always Golden State for me. I called it back in October. I believe but I mean credit to where credit is due for that Dallas team because I personally had Utah taking them out of the equation it seemed like the perfect situation to do so a fully healthy Jazz team versus a Luka less Mavericks team it should have been a recipe for success but the Jazz had other ideas Luka is that guy and if you look at this team for him to go ahead and be able to do this and do it at this level I mean they dismantle Phoenix in their own arena. That's embarrassing. They didn't just, you know, beat them. They whooped them. They dragged them and did it multiple times. Luca, I mean, credit to the Mavs team as a whole, but Luca really is the nucleus of this team, and it's really only him. There's no other superstar to kind of carry the weight with him. It's Luca, a superstar with a lot of supporting cast members. To do this with that being the construction of your team, it's kind of hard to bet against them. You know, Golden State didn't look so hot against the war against the Grizzlies. You know, some people will say if Ja was in the game, it might have been a different outcome, a different series. I always had Golden State advancing in six regardless. But I mean, look. I'm not going to go ahead and say it's going to be a cakewalk for the Warriors. All the energy is in the favor of the Mavericks right now. I still have the Warriors coming out because they are a deeper team. They are a championship DNA team, but it's not going to be a cakewalk for them by any means. Luka has a chip on his shoulder and he's coming with a full chamber for anybody who wants to smoke. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a show. You're definitely going to want to tune into that series for sure. See, Ash, you bring up a really good point, right? Because in that series with Dallas playing the Suns, everybody looked and said, okay, this should be an easy series for the the Suns to win because it's just Luka. There's no one else around him. And you kind of touched on it. You said that, okay, you know, Luka, he's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to empty the clip. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to go out there and give it 110%. But does Dallas have enough around Luka 
to really go toe to toe with the Warriors because I look at this Warriors team right and they've got they've got guys that can step up outside of Steph Curry and then don't forget you got Draymond Green championship DNA these guys have been there before they are you know ready for this type of situation does Dallas have enough around Luka is a chip on his shoulder the chip on that entire team's shoulder is that really enough to carry them through the Western Conference Finals I don't think so. I mean, if you look at the regular season, obviously the Warriors did not do great against Dallas in the regular season, but it's a different game when you get to the playoffs. And again, the Warriors have been in this situation when it comes to, you know, running for a chip and, and making a run for it. They've been there. But look, again, Dallas just seems to be the magic maker when playing in Dallas. I think that the series is going to go a lot further than people anticipate. It's not going to be a sweep by any means, especially with those two games in Dallas. I think the Mavs could go ahead and possibly win both. Your role players tend to play better at home. Luca already showcased multiple times throughout multiple series that, you know, his domain is his domain, and that's the American Airlines Center. But I think ultimately it's hard to go ahead and bet against a team as stacked as the Golden State Warriors with the greatest shooter of all time. You know, you have Draymond Green going into the Hall of Fame, Clay's going into the Hall of Fame, Steph's going into the Hall of Fame, the third splash brother, Jordan Poole, all the additional role players, and probably the most important factor Mike Brown's not going to be coaching anymore. You get Steve Kerr back. So those adjustments oh, and those wow. schemes are going to oh, look a lot different. No shade, Mike. No shade. Oh, I'm just wow. saying, Mike, you look, you were looking crazy <laughs> last series, Mike. That's all I'm saying. But you get Kerr back. <laughs> he said you was wrong before. He said you was already <laughs> wrong. <so. laughs> I'm just saying. No shade, Mike. No shade. But you were looking a little, mm, you know, a little. <laughs> hey. And listen, speaking of the last time, so the last time uh, Amina was on, you were supposed to be on. We couldn't get uh -huh. the situation. We couldn't get it figured out. I don't know technical why. Technical difficulties. Technical difficulties. So it was right <laughs> after the Met Gala. I asked Amina, because you two are, are among the most fashionable people I know. I mean, you guys both are bringing it. So I figure, <laughs> you know, both, both New Yorkers, so mm -hmm. the Met Gala would seem to be for both of you. I asked Amina if she's ever been. She said she hasn't, but she's going to go. She's going. You, <laughs> I really, have you I ever gone? My ticket. <laughs> have you ever gone, Ashley? And if you haven't, when you do go, <sighs> what you going to bring to the table? What, what, what are we bringing? What, like, what, what's, what's your vibe Just like Amina, I haven't gone yet, but I will go in the near future. I'm putting that into the universe, manifesting it. Um, Anna Wintour, call me girl, like, cause sometimes these people don't be getting the theme and y'all has you guys out here looking crazy. But I mean, for me, like whatever the theme is, I'm going to adhere to that. I think the whole point of the Met Gala for people who kind of like, why do people dress like that? It's supposed to honor different eras in fashion and also benefit the museum. And to do that, you have to go ahead and commit fully. It's not about, you know, wearing something simple, like a silk slip gown, you're supposed to go all out. You're supposed to look a little different than you would at any award show. It's about, you know, the intersection between fashion and actual art. So it's disappointing when like there's a theme, especially like a theme like this year where there's so much research and so many films and TV shows to like pull inspiration from. And I see people then just like long black gowns. It's like, 
mm, I mean, you look cute, but it's basic. Like, that's not the theme. Like, I don't they understand. They didn't understand so. the assignment. They didn't understand the yes. assignment, girl. That, that's what it was. They didn't understand the assignment. You got to <laughs> understand the assignment and you got to commit to the assignment. Those are the two rules of Met Gala. So Amina and I will do both. Don't you worry, Mike. You will see. Okay, we're all going. We're all going <laughs> and I will commit. I will do my research. I will not be lacking. I'm going to plan it. I'm going to get a stylist. I'm going to get my makeup done. I'm doing the whole thing. Yes, I'm doing the whole That's thing. Too. It's like Russell Westbrook. I need you to get your Russell Westbrook on and just commit full look top committed. to bottom. I'm committed to it. Hey, <laughs> Ashley, this is great. You, you're like, listen, this is what we're going to do. Before the Met Gala, we've got Ashley Nicole Moss, Amina Smith, brother from another you rename the show whatever you want both of y'all just go do the show both y'all gonna do it Let's okay? i'm here for it whenever for, you're ready for take over i'm here for the takeover Same. stay tuned good to see you Bye, thank guys. you ashley see you girl reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Uh, great for us to battle back the way we did. Um, you know, this is what we played for while we played the season out to have home court advantage in the game seven. And, you know, we believe in the basketball gods, those things matter. And so um, for us, we played it out and did what we did really much, most of the second half of the year, not uh, fearing anybody and playing the way we have. And so it's good to kind of be rewarded against a really tough test. You get better through experience. You know, oh, I enjoy being out there with my teammate. I enjoy, you know, having this great season, long ass, sorry for my language, uh, long season uh, through the ups and downs. Uh, I'm going, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss the itch, you know, for a while now, but uh Hey, I enjoyed this series. Wasn't able to win. I uh, wish we were the team that uh, play on uh, today, Sunday, on Tuesday, but we're not. You know, have a great off season, get better. You know, feel this like what we feel right now. Uh, hopefully, can motivate you throughout the season and come back healthy and uh, ready to go. You know, it's really amazing, uh, Chris Herring. You know, we talk about the. 75th anniversary of the NBA and seen a lot of things, uh, a lot, lot of things happen. People uh, talk about the league and a lot of snapshots. It's just amazing to me that we've never had a player until now have over 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in a seven-game series like Giannis did. You think about the history of the league and nobody's done that. If, if anything, what did you learn about Giannis in this series? I know they didn't win it, but just focus, uh, focusing on him. Because I heard Mike Budenholzer say, hey, Giannis evolved in the series. Did you see that? And what did you learn about Giannis? To some extent, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the credit for this now before I get into this answer so it's not misconstrued. I had, I think I was the only guy in our NBA coverage at Sports Illustrated who put him before the season as the number one player in the league. Uh, most people were kind of riding off of Kevin Durant really dominating the Bucks last year until Harden and Irving got hurt. I thought Giannis was that guy after last year. He won a title. He'd already won two MVPs. He'd won Defensive Player of the Year. 
I was actually talking about writing a piece. I, I wanted the Bucks to win this round so I could write it. It would be a little bit weird to write it now after a loss. I think he's starting to enter. I think very quickly before we know it, he's going to start entering that top 15. You know, maybe by next year, or the year after, he's going to start encroaching on that top 10 conversation of all time, which sounds a little bit wild to say that with one title, but he's so young and he's still really just entering his prime. He's going to turn 28 at the very end of the year. Um, he he does everything. And I think so many people focus on what he doesn't do. He's not as smooth with the ball as Kevin Durant. He doesn't have the jump shot that, that staff or Kevin Durant has. Uh, you know, he doesn't always guard the best player on the other team straight up. He's more of a help guy. But show me somebody that can do what he does, the way he does it, the beating he takes, the beating he inflicts. And even the injury that he had in the conference finals last year to come back from that and play in the finals and dominate the finals with the 50 piece to close it out. I think we take for granted what he can do because of some of the things he can't and people focus so much on the bag he has or doesn't have. But uh, I would take him any day. You know, he, I think he ran out of steam at the end of the series without Middleton, but he's, he's incredible. And I mean, this series, we didn't need this series to know it, but I think it just reinforced how incredible he is that he took them to seven games without having Middleton there. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that just watching this entire series and being at those games inside of TD Garden and watching Giannis up close, he really did have everything on his shoulders. Being inside that building when he put up 44 and 20 and seeing that, you know, he was really trying to will this Bucks team to a win. It's just that the Celtics were just deeper and the Bucks they really missed Chris Middleton in this series. Just when you take a look at the Bucks and how this series unfolded for them, you know, are the Bucks as good of a team as everyone has made them out to be this season? When you take just one person, Chris Middleton, of course, their number two scorer on the team out of the equation, but are they as complete of a team as people made them out to be coming into the postseason? Not quite. I mean, let me start by saying I don't know that any team left in the dance right now would win a title without their second best guy for a round, particularly against the best defense in basketball. The Celtics had the bodies to throw at Giannis in the first place to make it more difficult for him. Uh, so if you took away Jordan Poole, Clay from Golden State in this last series, I don't know how they look, particularly if Joss stays healthy. Uh, obviously, we saw Ja out and we saw that that made it very difficult for Memphis's offense to operate. Um, so, you know, we saw Philly without Embiid. I, I don't know that you could take any second guy away, but what this series did show is that when he's out of the picture, when Middleton's out of the picture, Drew Holiday took 22 shots a game in this series and averaged 21 points. Uh, so he was put in a role that was too big for him offensively. What were they yesterday? Like four for 78 from three? whatever it was, it was, it was horrendous. <laughs> Seemed like and, it. you know, <laughs> yeah. you had George Hill, who I think played the last three games of the series without scoring. Grayson Allen was a minus 24 in the first half of game six. And then they rolled him back out there as a starter in the second half of game six and came back in game seven with him as a starter. And he, he I mean, he shot, I think 21% from three for the series. Bobby Portis was something like 22 or 23% for the series from three. And you also have some guys on the court that really aren't great defenders for a team like Boston. So Boston was getting easier shots the whole series. The team's not bad, but when you have guys that are miscast for their role and all of a sudden they've got to step up, not having a third guy um, that can really handle the ball, 
what I kept thinking about watching the game yesterday and the series as a whole, if you remember back to that tampering allegation and the tampering fine that the Bucks got for Bogdanovich and not landing him the summer before last because of the tampering stuff, this is a series where you really could have used somebody like that. They obviously won a title without him, so it's not to say that it's some massive failure, um, but just having one more guy that can handle the ball so that Drew's not overburdened, so that Giannis isn't overburdened. For someone that goes to the basket as aggressively as he does, him having to go to the basket every single time, it puts him in offensive foul trouble, quite frankly. Every first half is a question of whether he's going to get a third or a fourth foul right before the half because of how aggressively he had to handle the ball because nobody else on his team could make a shot other than Drew, and Drew was having to take too many shots to get his points. So it, it, it's just a flawed team once you take one guy out of the mix. I don't think it it renders them uh, in trouble for the future, but it, it would really behoove them to find another guy or two this year, this summer, to just kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit because you have a couple guys that really weren't contributing in the series. So, quick question, because everybody keeps coming back to this, at least here in Boston, the whole home court advantage situation and how at the end of the season, the Bucks kind of dialed it back to, you know, kind of jockey for position in the Eastern Conference. And the Celtics, on the other hand, Ime Udoka, you know, no stranger to saying this, he said this publicly, just, you know, we're not ducking anybody. We want all the smoke. How much do you think that this, uh, the Bucks kind of dialing it back at the end of the season came to kind of bite them in the butt in this series? I, I'll say this. I don't think it made a huge difference. I mean, the Bucks had a chance to close it out in game six. And as, as you were saying before, Giannis had 44 and 20 at home mm. in a closeout wow. game, and they still lost mm -hmm. by double digits at home. So they had their chance to do it. It's not like they didn't have a chance to close it out at home. Game sevens are always weird and wacky. Um, and quite frankly, getting back to what I said a moment ago, the the, the story of the series was that Boston's shots were always easier. Ime Udoka also said at the beginning of the series that after that game one loss where the guys were pressing, he had to reiterate to his guys. He was like, look, you don't have to take the first three you have, the first open shot you have. We can work for something better. The way they play defense, their drop coverage is going to allow you to have open shots, particularly from three. So let's work our way into a better shot. And what you saw later was Al Horford having a 30-point game later in the series when he kind of picked his spots. And when they started to close out on him too aggressively, he drove to the basket and dunked on Giannis and let out a scream that I've never seen from Al Horford. And then at the end of the series, you see Grant Williams fire up 18 threes, which seems preposterous, particularly for a, a game where the season's on the line. But I think it speaks to what Emate was saying is that we're just going to play our game. Our game is to take open shots when we get them, when when we move the ball around enough. We're just going to keep playing and keep playing and keep playing to the point where Grant Williams is going to get 18 threes. He'll never get 18 threes again, probably. But playing the averages, if you let him get 18 open threes, he's going to hit six, seven, eight of them. That's what happened. He hit almost 40% of his threes. It was enough to put the Bucks away on a day where they couldn't shoot. And at a certain point, the style of play that the Celtics had, just getting easier shots than the grinded out style that Giannis and Drew and everybody else had to play with Milwaukee, it won out, particularly at home, particularly when you can rely on your depth, which Milwaukee really didn't have to utilize here with Chris Middleton out. All right, Chris Herring, one of these four teams will win a championship. Heat, Celtics, Warriors, Mavericks, one of them will win a championship. And I know there's a lot of basketball left to play, and the stories, as interesting as they are right now, will shift even more 
as we get through the conference finals and through the NBA finals. But just trying to project a little bit, get to that championship moment, game six, game seven uh, for, for the champion. Which story will you enjoy telling the most uh, of one of these champions? Like what, what, what championship story you think is most dynamic, most unlikely, most interesting for you as an author, as a best-selling author, by the way, uh, as an author and as a uh, longtime NBA writer? I, I think we're in this era now because of the way these teams have been built. The Bucks are, you know, I think an example, but not maybe the greatest example. You know, these big threes, certainly big twos that we see everywhere. Um, Dallas traded away the guy that, at least for a while, was perceived to be their second star. They traded away Porzingis this year um, and got back Spencer Dinwiddie, who had a huge role in closing the game out yesterday. Although, I guess you and I could probably could have closed the game out yesterday for just, uh, you know, how much they won by it. Uh, can a, a single star, I think we can call Luca a superstar pretty safely at this point, can a single superstar kind of take down these other teams that, you know, these other teams have two all-stars? Uh, you know, Miami has had guys, you know, obviously Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Um, you look at Golden State, they've obviously got Clay and Steph, and Jordan Poole is coming into his own now. Um and we've got Boston that has, you know, obviously a top two that is pretty formidable. So can Luca kind of do this, not only do this himself, mostly by himself, but can he also do this in a situation where this is the first year he's won a single playoff series? Can he kind of get it all the way done, um, you know, all in one season and kind of, you know, basically kind of hit for the cycle all in one year here uh, where the question before was like, okay, Trey Young, has kind of surpassed you as far as his success from a team standpoint. Um, we obviously saw Aiton get to the finals last year. Uh, I guess Marvin Bagley is still kind of, you know, waiting in the wings here at some point, maybe. Um, but Luca was kind of waiting for that moment in the sun. We'd seen him get really close to taking out the Clippers uh, a couple times. Um, and now the breakthrough moment, obviously, to not only beat Utah, but to take out Phoenix emphatically on their home court by however much it was yesterday. Um, can you now take out a team that has even more experience than a team like Phoenix than a team like Utah um, and, and, and take them out and take out, you know, the greatest shooter of all time and, and, you know, the system that's built around him. That would be something, but I do think that they're going to win that series. I do. You think wow. Dallas is going to win that? You think Dallas is going to win that series? I do. I do. I think that they're going to wow. cause some defensive issues for Golden State. Golden State really hasn't been – overwhelmingly tested. I mean, obviously, Jaw was a test for them. Steve Kerr was not passing the test as far as how long he was letting uh, Jaw go single covered in that series, which is why he was averaging damn near 40. Uh, so it's not a team like you don't want to put your best defender on the star score. Uh, Draymond is someone that you don't want in foul trouble. He did that against Nikola Jokic, and he also acknowledged, man, he's a load to guard and defend. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how you do that? Are you going to use Wiggins? Do we trust Wiggins to be able to handle that assignment? Um, Luca's going to get guys in foul trouble, which is why you really don't want to use Draymond. But also, you know, to what extent can the other guys get it going? Can Brunson continue to have it going? Can uh, Dorian Finney-Smith continue to be hot from three? Can Bertans get it going from three? Can Kleber get it going for three? Um, and to what extent can Dallas's defense hold up because I think that's what's catching people off guard is how well they held Booker in check and Chris Paul in check they had a better game plan and Jason Kidd 
credit to Jason Kidd. I didn't think that he'd be a great fit for this Dallas team, but he outschemed Monty Williams in that last series. And we've seen Steve Kerr sometimes kind of get stubborn or kind of get comfortable with his rotations, with his ideas, um, and sometimes waits until it's a little bit too late. I think he got fortunate with the Memphis series where, uh, frankly, he was really late on making the adjustments with Ja. Um, and obviously it didn't cost him to the point where they lost the series and Ja was hurt. But um, I do think that Dallas poses a real threat here, and I did pick them to win the series. All right, so look, I'm up, I'm a, I got a hyp- another hypothetical scenario for you. Let's say uh, you have to spend your last $100. Man, it's too bad. You're like, guys, a New York Times bestselling author. Look what man, happened inflation to is hurting us, down- man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now you're down <laughs> to your last 100 <laughs> Okay, that's it. Got $100 wow. to his name. And I ain't helping you with, don't ask me for nothing. <laughs> He said, don't ask me. <laughs> I ain't got a dollar. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. Hey, Chris, I love you, man, but I, you know, I ain't got it, man. I ain't got it right now. But you got down to your last $100, and you have to put it with one of these guys to go the furthest, uh, to get closest to a championship. You have to put $100 on James Harden or $100 on Chris Paul to win a championship Ooh. before the career is over. Who are you putting your last $100 on and why? Wow. I really hope I've got some rich relatives. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll go with Chris Paul. I don't feel good about that answer right now, certainly. Um, but I'll go with Chris Paul on the off chance that I think they're closer to getting it done and kind of figuring out the rest of the rotation. Obviously, the last day or so has made it seem more likely that maybe they're willing to move on from DeAndre Ayton. We don't know that yet. Um, but there's the chance that he'll progress and become more of a star. There's a chance that if they do let him go, and it would probably be through a sign-in trade, they would probably not just let him walk. They let him go, and they get something back for him that there's a chance that that is a piece or two that they really need and that they could really use. Um, I don't like the likelihood of Chris Paul or James Harden being a massive part of why they win a title anymore, like the, the finals MVP anymore. I think that's why I don't feel great about that bet, but Phoenix is a lot closer. Their team is very balanced. They're pretty great on the defensive side of the ball. They have the potential to be great on the offensive side of the ball. They ran into a buzzsaw that was Dallas and Dallas's defense, but I do think that they can get back there. Um, I think the East is going to be a lot more competitive in a way that makes it difficult for Philly. And I think that this is one of the healthiest seasons, the healthiest season we've ever seen from Embiid. So I don't think it's a given that they're just going to get back here every year there's also the questions about doc does he stay um and harden and whether he really whether this was just a hamstring thing or if this is like the new normal for him so i you know i i don't know when i'm going to trust james harden next in the playoffs again um i know you can say that about chris paul too but i trust him more than james harden which says a lot i'm sorry chris it was an unfair bet i you know i, I put you in a bad situation but you got you me know. out here in poverty for no reason i don't know why you that, was, that, that was a no tough reason. question that was a tough question that's yeah. just, just and like, the turned. lesser of two evils it like, there it, it was like it, it, it could have been i could have easily said hey you got a hundred dollars but i said it's your last 100 you've fallen on tough yeah. times i created like this really uh dark world for you i'm sorry but uh, it's, it's only <laughs> man it's just this it's just this little situation Hey, Chris Herring, great job as usual. Uh, Thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Love being with y'all. Thank you. All right. Appreciate you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, 
<laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, listen. All right, Amina, I just got to say this. Now, I'm really struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm a Christian. I understand Mm -hmm. that Christianity does not necessarily equal perfection. That's not what it's all about. The best Christians have a little dirt on them. You want to preach the gospel, you should have a little dirt on you, okay? That makes you a little more authentic. Yeah, yeah, you're like, hey, listen, I know you're struggling with temptation. I've been through some stuff. I know it's hard for you not to steal. I used to steal. I used to lie. Okay, all right, great. So, I understand that. I understand. But, Amina, I'm having such a hard time because, you know, my great-grandfather started a church, Baptist church, in Ohio. So, I know all the church songs, grew up on church songs, grew up on the whinings, grew up on... Walter Hawkins, James Cleveland, and Albertina Walker. Be pa- please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. I, I remember the commercials. I remember the commercials. Uh, it, it's old school. Those commercials would be like, and Al Green, back in gospel to stay, because Al Green, you know, he'd do his love and happiness and let's stay together, but then he'd do Precious Lord and all that stuff. Okay, great. But Kanye West winning best gospel artist, all I can think of is trying to catch the beat. I'm trying to catch the beat. Not trying, <laughs> trying to, to catch, catch the beat. beat. Put, put, your, put your MF in hands up. <laughs> Yo, I just can't. It's hard for wait, me. Wait, wait, okay, look. Just, look, Holly, Holly, I'm, I'm I, just I'm thinking about get him high. I keep thinking about get him high, Kanye. <laughs> I'm just as surprised as you. I'm not going to lie. But I will say one thing, though. His gospel album, it was banging. It, it was very good. It, like It's been it bumped was. in my house. It, it's been bumped in yep. my house. But when Likewise. I look at the category, when I, look, when I look at the category, though, and I see Kirk Franklin, I see CeCe in there, I see Maverick City Music, I'm like, I don't know if Kanye West is winning all the awards. Because he didn't just win one. There was actually one category I saw where he was nominated twice? Two times. He two won or three couple. times, actually. Two, two or three times in one category. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Maybe because of, you know, the Sunday service and it's popular and people were curious also with, like, Kanye West moving over to the gospel scene. So maybe that kind of had something to do with it, too. Because, you know, Billboard does go off the streams. They go off the numbers. Yeah. But it's a hard, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around winning over Kirk okay. Franklin. I, I just, I, so, I'm having a tough time. <laughs> yeah. Kirk Franklin. Kirk Franklin and the Winans. Okay, so this, this answer me this, Amina. Okay. Mm-hmm. You go on a concert, if you've got a, your, your discography is, is substantial. Okay, yeah. you've been in the game for a long time. And Kanye's been in the game for a long time. So if we say... It, let, let's say he's coming to uh, TD Garden or, or Madison Square Garden. Kanye going to New York, putting on a concert. Mm-hmm. If you're going to a gospel concert, does he go back to college dropout? Does he go back to, you know? I hope not. Uh, like, that, is that I a part look, of the, If I'm going to a gospel concert, I got to be 
Look, look, you gotta, you gotta give me one genre. You can't give me both. Because <laughs> then I'm gonna get a little confused. My spirit get a little confused. <laughs> and my spirit is like, okay, wait. I'm going and, am straight I bumping to hell. or am I praising I'm the Lord? I, got, I, gotta, I gotta figure out which way I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's almost like making himself, he's selling himself short. This is an oh. artist. He's there. Like, look, if you go to see, if you go to see Kirk Franklin in concert, Kirk Franklin's gonna give you all the whole thing. He's gonna, hey, oh, yeah. y'all remember this? You remember this from 2001? You know, Kirk, Kirk Franklin started doing that thing. Him? Yeah. JP, are you like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, Lord. So, so, hey, listen, Kanye, I, I'll give him credit though, because you're right. Because I had a friend of mine, this is my test. Everybody's mm-hmm. got this friend. So, you know, there are different levels of Christianity, you know, there's some people who, you know, you gotta, you gotta look real hard, you gotta listen real closely to figure out, oh, oh okay, now I get it, yes, yeah, that's your faith, and other people, they, they got the biggest cross, and they got the biggest Bible, and they mm-hmm. always, you, know, you call them, like, hey, I was in church, they, they go to church like five, six times a week, so <laughs> I got a friend like that, I got a friend like that, he was my test. I was like, you know, hey, you know, Kanye got that, uh, got a gospel album now. Mm-hmm. He was like, uh, yeah, I heard it. I was like, oh man, he's about to rip it. He was like, it's banging. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. So Kanye's in. Kanye's gospel. He's in. He's. I think people were skeptical at first. They were skeptical at first. They were trying to figure out, okay, like, is this a gimmick? Is he really doing the music? But you listen to it, it's like. Okay, he's fully committed. He's fully committed to it. But I, I do kind of feel weird though because it's like you gotta choose one. I kind of feel like, you know, you don't get a little confused as a consumer. It's like, okay, I listen to oh, him, yeah. but then also now I now I hear him on a song with Fabio Foreign and Alicia Keys and dropping bars, and I'm like, a little See, bit different than listening to Sunday service. So I'm just like, I, I just I gotta I gotta know which Kanye I'm getting. I got I feel like I gotta. See, pick what I'm one. saying like. This is, a, this is unprecedented. Of course, it's Kanye doing something that's never been done before because it's not unusual. You think about the great, the late great Aretha Franklin, who is leading Heaven's Choir right now, okay? She, mm-hmm. her father was a preacher, and I'm telling you, Amazing Grace, Aretha Franklin mm. doing Amazing Grace, that album is tremendous. So, yeah, you can say um, Dr. Feelgood or respect to Amazing Grace, ain't like she was dropping no F-bombs, she wasn't dropping Mm -hmm. no N-bombs. Okay, so Mm -hmm. it's not really, it's not really a stretch. But Kanye has, it's the first time that a gospel artist has given us such extremes to consider. But maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's his testimony. That hey, I've been here, and I've been here. I, I, I've got credibility because I've done it all. I've said it all. I've seen it all. Now, let me ask you this. I, I was I was dipping in your feed here, and mm-hmm. I saw that you said if Diddy is performing, what, what, how'd you put it? If Diddy is in, then he, you said if Diddy's performing, uh, I'm in. What you talking about? I What's mean, Diddy, Diddy performing at the Billboard Awards. Come on, he's going out there. He's so, performing his old hits. He was like he was hosting the Billboard Awards. He's doing his performance, and then he's Harlem shaking out there. Anytime Diddy's getting on the stage, Holly, I'm turning my TV up. Turning my TV up. It's a concert at my house. 
I'm Harlem shaking. I'm dusting my shoulders off. Like it's a moment, okay? Still, I'm kind of sad. I'm, I'm kind of sad that there. Like, I'm kind of sad it was two game sevens last night, and I didn't catch to catch the whole thing. I'm a little sad. I'm not gonna lie, because anytime Diddy's on my TV, I gotta watch. Come on. See, I'm amazed by that. I'm amazed that that Diddy, because Diddy's been doing it for a long time, that he mm-hmm. still kind of has that kind of uh, effect, that kind of impact on on people of your generation. Like, I thought, oh, you know, yeah. Diddy was like. Still, I'm thinking more. He's more businessman, more entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm not really thinking of him as a performer, as much as I am uh, thinking of him as a strategist. But you're yeah, telling yeah, me yeah. that if that if Diddy is there, if Diddy is in town, you you're trying oh, to see yeah. him. Oh yeah, like wow. I mean, like I'm not buying I'm not buying tickets if he's at, like, at TD Garden or anything like that. But if he's on like an okay. award show, he's on a, if he's on an award show, and he's having a performance. Like, that's the whole bad boy era. I mean, that's my era, though. Also, I'm a millennial. So, like, that's my thing. Yeah. You know, like, I, that, that takes me back to, like, the 2000s, late 90s, you know, Total. We're talking about Faith Evans, Biggie Smalls. Like, those are the kind of songs that kind of get me out of my seat. So, and then even, okay. even Diddy, when he gets in the movie, even though Diddy is not the most, you know, the best rapper alive or anything like that, he makes feel good music. He makes music that's going to get you out your seat, that's going to get you grooving. So I'm kind of sad that I missed it last night. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, the Game 7s were good, but I wish I had recorded the Billboard Awards so I could actually, like, be there and see those performances. I have to just look them up on Twitter. I saw clips of it last night, and I was like, dang. I wish I was able to see it in full because I just know, I just know it went off. Next time you come on, uh, I don't know if, if, if you realize this, this is part of the tradition of the show. Mm. You got to do a freestyle. Do a, a freestyle, freestyle when you come oh on. Oh my goodness, child. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just playing. You're like, no, no. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it. No. No freestyle. There's no freestyle. I can't, I'm not I can't drop a 16. I can't drop a 16. That, That's just not going to happen. That, that, was, that was not. No, you didn't say that. You didn't say that was going to be a part of it. You asked me if I could come on. That wasn't a part of the you job say, description. You asked me to just come here and hang out. You didn't say I had to drop the 16. In. You did not tell me that. Hang out in the studio. Have a good time. <laughs> Don't worry about the traditional rundown. And then a freestyle. No. Now that's where I draw the line. That's where I draw the line, Holly. I can't do it. No. I can't do it. You had uh, me when you had, had me having fun. And now, come on. Yeah, <laughs> I would have to do it. That would be ugly, though. If I did, it would be ugly. All right, Amina Smith, you know, one of this one of us on this show uh, was a big time college athlete performing at a high level. I must say uh, and it was you not me. So you can understand uh, what it's like to be Steph Curry who left Davidson after three years record setting guy at Davidson left in 2009. I believe it was and now here he is 13 years later class of 2022 earned his degree, finally earned his degree from Davidson. And on the flip side, Hall of Fame running back Jerome Bettis uh, kept a promise to his mother, graduated from no- University of Notre Dame, and he was out of there. I think it was in that, like, it had to be in 1990s. Oh, wow. Like, early 1990s. 1993, I think it was. It was his rookie year, somewhere around there. So, uh, can you just uh, speak to, as somebody who has uh, been a, a college athlete, just the difficulty of this real quick? 
just shout out to the dedication for going back, but it's tough. I mean, especially when you're focused as a student athlete, you're focused on your craft, you're focused on what you are there to do. Of course, you're there to go to school, but let's be honest. I mean, being a student athlete is tough, but credit to those guys for going back and getting a degree and staying committed to it. Amina, great job. You got to come back. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.